setting my Seder table as I get ready to host the first Seder later this week. And this year, we're expecting 15 people, including three guests who are not Jewish. They're either partners or fiancés of our friends' adult kids. And in one case, it's my son's classmate. And it's the first time some of them will be exposed to a Seder. Now, I've had non-Jewish guests at holiday meals before, but I'm really worried about this one for some reason. Maybe it's because it's the first Seder since COVID that we're not all on Zoom, but actually in my house altogether. And I want to make the night meaningful for everyone. But how much should I stop and explain? And what parts of the Seder are they actually permitted to do under Jewish law? And how should interfaith couples navigate this week, since Passover and Easter and even Ramadan are all happening simultaneously on the calendar? Unlike most Jewish holidays where a rabbi leads the service and tells everybody what to do, on Passover at Seder, we're in charge because it happens in our homes. So everybody has to figure out what kind of Seder is right. So we asked some experts for advice on how they make it work. David Spiegelman and his wife Jenny will be attending Seder at his parents' place in Winnipeg, where David grew up Ashkenazi Jewish. Jenny is agnostic. She has indigenous and Irish-English roots. The couple has three sons. They're being raised Jewish. And on the weekend, the family will head to Jenny's grandmother's farm for Easter dinner, hunting Easter eggs and the famous hot cross buns. Is that grandma's? I personally will just avoid it and, and try not to. But Easter with, like at the end of the day, all of these holidays are, are about being with family. And the last thing you want to do is not be with family. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Tuesday, April the 4th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Navigating multiple religious holidays is probably a situation that's being faced in many homes this week. In Winnipeg, interfaith marriage is much higher than the national average. It's close to 50%. Elsewhere, about 25% of Jewish married couples in Canada now have a spouse who isn't Jewish. That's one in four, and it's growing from a generation ago. But Jenny and David Spiegelman have made it work for the past nine years, and they join me now from River Heights. Hi, Ellen. Hi, thank you for having us. I'm wondering if you can describe in your house and your, your household and family, what what are you doing to get ready, if anything, for all the faiths that you mark? Mm-hmm. Anyone can start. Uh, yeah, so just nor- the normal getting ready. We've already purchased uh, our five-pound Costco box of matzah. Yeah. You can't have Passover without a box of Costco matzah and and other than that uh we actually uh again part of that conversation that we had of getting ready for Passover and changing it and really creating our own traditions is we do a Sephardic Passover I'm Ashkenazi uh and and Jenny being uh not Jewish the idea of no bread was (laughs) was tough so we agreed to do a, a Sephardic style um, Passover, which if people aren't aware, it means we just don't have bread, really. We still will have quinoa and rice and and corn. So it, it kind of expands our uh, availability of food during Passover. And 
pretty much for the most part, we keep it. Uh, all five of us in this house and the boys go do, to school and their lunches are packed for Passover. And uh, I don't eat out at work. I pack a lunch that is Passover and I follow it. Well, uh, for that, for the whole week, um, as best as we can. Yeah. Uh, Jenny, your family also has its own traditions, I guess, coming up to Easter. So what do you, what do you do, if anything? Um, well, we do Easter in the house as well. Like the Easter bunny does come here. So we hide little chocolate carrots around the house and little eggs and stuff like that. And then, um, we go to my grandma's farm for Easter dinner and celebrate with my family out there. And, and sometimes that happens to fall over Passover. I think it always falls over Passover. Well, also for Passover. And uh, so what do you do about that eating problem or not eating problem? Um, I'll avoid grandma's buns for Easter, um, but I'll still eat dinner with everybody because at the end of the day, grandma's welcoming us into her house and I don't want to be overly disrespectful. So for the one night that we spend at grandma's, um, I'll, I'll avoid any bread um, but I'll still eat dinner and, and enjoy with everybody. You know, if it fell over Hanukkah, we would take our Hanukkah to grandma's and we do the candles at grandma's over Christmas. So the only thing is, is I avoid bread while I'm there and I try to follow it as best as I can. You don't bring um, your own meal and stuff like that with your own matzah, what have you, right? That would be not go over well there? Not necessarily. We've never really tried. We don't run a, an Orthodox house, yeah. right? So you know, I'm not selling my bread to my neighbor. You know, we, we as we approach Passover, we'll use all of our bread, but we don't do a, a large cleaning, you know, like some Jewish families will. Um, we just avoid it. Now, I read that, uh, you know, you, you did a lot of talking before you got started. And so now you're probably old pros that this doesn't really, it's not as difficult to do this because you guys got a routine going, some type of thing sounds like, right? How do you deal with the kids when they um, want to know whether they're Jewish and or other? Uh, yeah, no. So they'll have um, they'll, all three boys will have bar mitzvahs. Um, they are Jewish. Um, so Jenny, Jenny isn't Christian. She's agnostic. Um, so we, we don't go to church. Uh, we, we go to synagogue, go to shul. We just did eight times chocolate Passover Seder. Um, and it was wonderful. They had way too much chocolate. Um, but our boys are, um, they're half Jewish. They're like Eastern European Jews. And then the other half is a mix of English and Irish and indigenous, you know, like, like they are the Canadian melting pot uh, per se. And we're very open with it and we explain that they're indigenous and we explain that they are, you know, religiously they're Jews, culturally they are Jews, but we also do embrace the indigenous side. What does that look like specifically? Can maybe Jenny give me an example of what that they actually embrace first, like specifically of that, of you? For, for indigenous, um, well, we have a lot of indigenous art in our home and we try to go to like, um, like ceremonies, we try to go to powwows and like folklorama and see that, like when they have the powwows and stuff there and the teachings and, and just having stuff around the house and like we have a lot of soapstone and, and yeah. What tips would you have for uh, people that are hosting satyrs with interfaith guests 
that have never been to Seder's before. I have that happening to me this coming year. How do we make them feel welcome? And what should they do to get ready too? Um, I would say maybe slow down and explain things as you go. Um, don't necessarily wait until they have questions because they might not feel comfortable like interrupting or stopping um, what's going on and just stopping when you think there's a good point that they might not know necessarily. Um, maybe just some of like the prayers and, and stuff like that and, and what you do with like the Seder plate and why those things are on there and, and that kind of thing. And David, any tips for people who are coming, what they should do before they get there who are not Jewish? It reminds me of a, a simple child that doesn't know enough to ask the question. I, I would say it, it's very much it's, it's your job as the, the host to, to make them feel welcome and explain it. Because there is that natural ignorance that comes with doing something new. And there's always that inherent fear of, am I going to ask a question that's offensive? And people typically, if they they think that they're going to ask a question that might come off offensive, they're going to hold back. So that's one thing my family does. And my dad still leads all the services. He likes that, the head of the table. But he he very much explains it and explains the importance and asks questions of the of the children. And, and the children that are attending the seders, you know, go from my youngest at two and a half to we we have one who's graduating this year, right? So he'll ask questions and and get answers and create conversation. And um, you know, Jenny's not my first non-Jew at a seder. Um, when I was in high school, we would actually invite all of all of my friends. They they loved it. We would, uh, you know, we we'd put my 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 folks would invite six teenagers uh, who aren't Jewish around the Seder. And my dad would explain the importance of it. And that's very much what it is, is just, you know, even if, even if it's just that simple thing of the marauders to remember the bitter that we suffered, right? That makes a lot of sense. And just tell them to eat a little bit at snack before they get there because <laughs> two hours so you actually can eat, right? That's another thing to know. Yeah. <laughs> That's 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 a key thing. <laughs> exactly. So Jenny, what's your favorite part, if anything, of Passover, whether it's something on the food or some kind of tradition? Is there anything that really you love about it? Honestly, I just really love when like everyone's around the table and and together, just like the family aspect of it and, and friends all just sitting around and being together. And I really like matzo lasagna, so <laughs> That's always the plus for me. <laughs> okay. So, but if there's anything you wanted to bring up or mention, uh, I'm happy to turn the floor over to you. What you want our listeners to understand about how you do Passover. I just, it's the same way we do most things. It's uh, Jenny says something. I take a hard stance. No. And we come back a day later and discuss it um, after our heads have cooled down. But yeah. we're, we're very much open communication about everything. Yeah. From from when we first started dating, I think I brought up the Jewish importance, like six months of us dating. Yeah, really fast. Because it's if this is going to go somewhere, I don't want to waste our time. You know, we have to always be on the same page, whether it's children or where you live or your faith. It, It has to be open book. 
And, and with Passover, it's also about being, you know, just, it's a give and take. Mm-hmm. You know, Passover for us, I think, is actually probably the easiest holiday. Why, why would you say that? That's interesting. Well, because it's just, for the most part, it's just dietary restriction. Yeah. You know, she, she puts chocolate around the house and <laughs> the boys gather it up and eat it. Like, that's, that's Easter for this house. You know, there's, there's no going to, to church. There is, there is none of that. So for us, just the Easter Pesach issue is a whole lot less as complex as the Christmas Hanukkah one was. That, that one we that one took us a long time, you know, from how do presents work? Uh, how do you split up the dollars? What are the rules? What's too many presents? Do you do Santa or not? We do not. Once you once you solve the December hurdle, everything else is pretty easy. That's that's what I would say. And just be patient. Yeah. In Toronto after Passover, Rabbi Aaron Levy will host an interfaith event at his Makom congregation to mark the end of the holiday. It will be a traditional Sephardi-style mamuna combined with an iftar break the fast for any Muslim friends and partners of his congregation's members. Rabbi Levy is an Orthodox rabbi who believes outreach to non-Jewish partners and kids is good for the Jewish people. Rabbi Levy joins me now from Toronto. I read an article recently that the whole point of Passover is to welcome the stranger into your home. Those who don't have, you should eat with them. And can you a little bit expand on sort of our responsibility as hosts of seders or Jewish families to follow that that tradition? Sure. So traditionally, the whole idea of kol dichvin yeteve yechol, let all who are hungry come and eat. So this traditionally uh, applies really to other Jews and welcoming them to the seder because they have an obligation to participate in Pesach seders. Um, and the idea of extending that to non-Jews as well can be a nice thing, especially if there are uh, non-Jewish family members, but there's no real like traditional obligation to invite non-Jews just because they're non-Jews um, to your seder. And I would say that um, inviting non-Jews to one seder is something that's permissible and especially if it's about including non-Jewish members of a family, then it's, I think, an important thing to do in terms of like not alienating people um, with it, whether we're talking about the, the non-Jewish folks themselves or also like their Jewish partners uh, as well um, and other connected family members. And I think while there's, there's less like strong impetus toward non-Jews who don't have a you know, familial connection to the Jewish community, um, it can be a nice thing to have non-Jews at one there as well, just as a learning experience for them. Are there any suggestions that you might make for, how would you, what are come, like three top things that a host could do, a Jewish host, to make somebody feel part of it? I would say one is to talk to them in advance and give them a heads up about what it's going to be like, let them know we're not going to be eating right away. Um, there's going to be a number of different rituals, prayers, storytelling, um, that are all part of it, and that it's it's a ritualized meal, and it's about re-experiencing slavery and liberation um, through the foods that we eat and the stories that we tell over the course of the seder. Um, and so giving them some sort of context before they walk through the door um, would be helpful. Um, I think then as one goes through the 15 steps of the seder, also just explaining where we are and what's going on. Um, and having a seder in general, I think um, that is conversational in which 
people are asking each other questions and there's discussion about what's going on and people are interpreting it and talking about how it uh, might mean something different to them um, is a way to open up the center and make it more meaningful for everybody, Jews or non-Jews. That's two. One more? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are there like videos they could watch or a book you might want to read? I mean, I, I'm giving out a kid's book this year, a brand new kid's book, because it's so simple and beautifully done that mm. anyone could benefit from it. Off the top of my head, one resource that, that comes to mind is the website My Jewish Learning, which is really great at making different topics in Judaism, including Jewish holidays, very accessible, whether to Jews or non-Jews. Um, so that's that's generally a, a resource that I recommend, um, especially to, to non-Jews who are interested in learning. And is there anything in the Seder that a non-Jewish guest should not be doing? Right. Well, I, I wouldn't think that it'd be appropriate for a non-Jewish guest at a Seder to lead any of the rituals or brachot, blessings. I mean, it's unlikely that they would do so anyway, probably. But yeah, like I'd say any of the, the key aspects of the seder should be led by a Jew. And they could do some of the readings like of the story, right? Yeah, they could certainly participate, you know, reading English passages and things like that. But there are there are definitely certain parts of the seder that at least from a traditional framework are obligatory. Um, and I would say that those should be done by Jews. Or at some seders, like everybody, you know, does those pieces all together, whether it's singing a bracha or reading a passage out loud altogether. Like, you know, if everyone's participating in it, then then you don't have to make that differentiation. They can't ask the four questions, right? Um, I would. Well, the 15 steps they're not allowed to do? The four questions are part of Muggy, part of the, the sort of the real crux of the seder that's telling the story. Interestingly, um, from a halachic perspective, from a traditional Jewish legal perspective, if people are asking questions about the seder as, as sort of a, an organic course of events, like, oh, like, what is this? Why are we doing that? What's going on with this? then you don't actually need to say Manish Tana. You don't have to ask the four questions. Those are almost like a prompt. And uh, I mean, it's still good to include them. It's tradition. You know, it's nice. People are attached to it. But, uh, you know, so the idea is really that people are asking questions and that the, the whole nature of the educational experience that is the said there is one of questioning and answering and discussing and experiencing together, right? So the four questions themselves are not like, you know, some holy thing that, you know, must be said by a Jew because actually they don't have to be said by anybody. They also don't have to be asked by the youngest person. I mean, like, even if you want to include the four questions in your, in your seder, which I would encourage folks to do, like everybody could do it together. Different people could do different questions. Any person could do all four questions. You could do them in any language, like. You know, this is shocking to me. Like, I can't even take this in. This is the first time anyone's <laughs> ever told me that in all my years. I, I really learned a lot today that I have to digest. I want to wish you a happy Passover and um, good luck with your programs. And we'll be in touch on the other side. Thanks so much, Ellen. Hope you have a really meaningful, liberating Pesach. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Mark Pomerantz in Toronto, and we'll end with a little story from my own past about how I made Passover while I was living in a very Catholic country far from home. I recorded this little spot for my colleagues at the CJN's Bonjour Chai podcast for their second annual Great Canadian Seder episode, 
We put the link to it in our show notes. Kol Hakavod to our producer, Zach Kaufman, who also produces Bonjour Chai, because he did a masterful job in the sound design of that episode. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily, and we'll be back tomorrow. I want to tell you a memorable Passover story which dates back to when I was living and working in Rome, Italy, in the late 1980s and early 90s. I was in my late 20s, and it was important to me, being so far away from Canada, to have a Seder. I was working for the CBC, and I spent a lot of time at the Vatican as the correspondent, so you really feel lonely as a North American Jew there. And Italians are neither Ashkenazi nor Sephardis. They're Italian, and they have their own traditions dating back 2,000 years, but they were all very foreign to me. So one year, I decided to make my own Seder. So I went into the ghetto in Rome, and I found matzah, and I found some kosher lamb, and I invited all the expatriate Americans and Canadians who were Jewish, who I knew, who lived in Rome at the time, and we started preparing to hold the Seder. At the time, I was engaged to an Italian man. He was Catholic. He'd started the process of converting, and his family, or my in-laws, were as Catholic as it gets. I mean, they made sausage every fall out of a side of pork, which totally grossed me out, and they loved the Pope. But that afternoon, on Erev Pesach, my former sister-in-law walked into the kitchen, and she took a look at the box of matzah on my counter, and she cried out, pane azimo, which means matzah in her Calabrian-Italian dialect. And I was stunned. I thought, wait, you're Catholic. How do you even know what matzah is? Then she told me that when she was little, she used to eat matzah and that their mother used to light the candles on Friday nights. And I didn't think much of it at the time. I was busy cooking for the Seder, but later I did a little investigating. And that family had serious Jewish origins. It turns out their mother's maiden name, Elia, was Italian for Elijah. And their father's last name was Gaudio, and that's a version of Isaac, and it meant laughter. And it could have been the name of a Jew who served as a jester in the Spanish king's court back in the 15th century. Now, those names were even listed in a scholarly book about the Jews of Italy who'd come from Spain and the Iberian Peninsula in the 15th century when the Jews were expelled, unless they converted to Christianity. Even so, some of these Jews continued to act as Christians on the outside, but practiced their Jewish faith in secret at home, and they were known by the derogatory name Moranos. Now, they never did anything about it, and neither did I, and that marriage ended years ago, and I've been blessed with a wonderful new husband and our children for whom I've made satyrs for 25 years or more now. But I always felt happy that even though my then-in-laws probably saw me as the outsider, the Jewish girl from Canada who was the stranger who briefly married into their Catholic family, it turns out we weren't so far apart after all just that my in-laws were not aware of their own ancient Jewish DNA. Happy Passover to you all. 